this morning, and I trust that you do. If you can open with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And welcome to week 2 of a 7-week series that we are calling Where There's Smoke. A series that we're calling Where There's Smoke. I'm dealing with our emotions, our, our feelings. Um, St. Augustine, or Augustine, however you choose to say it, a 5th century Christian theologian, said that our emotions, your emotions, my emotions function like smoke from a fire. So revealing always the condition of our hearts. And as we said last week, it's never good just to ignore smoke. If there's smoke in your home, don't just ignore it. If your fire alarm in the home is going off, don't just ignore it just because your better half is cooking again. You know, see to it, see what's happening, see what's going on um, in your home in the same way. Let's see what's going on in our hearts. Last week, we focused on depression, looking at kind of just the spiritual aspects of it. And today, the second type of smoke, as we're calling it, is anxiety. And what we know is we have a lot of English um, words for anxiety, whether you want to call it stress, preoccupation, being burdened, feeling pressured, being obsessed. It is a human experience that every single one of us has experienced in this room at some level. So anxiety has touched us all at some level. Anxiety is an emotion that um, is characterized by uneasiness, by apprehension, by dread, concern, tension, restlessness, worry. Someone has said that um, if fear is a thunderstorm, anxiety is a constant cold drizzle. They also said this, the thunderstorm produces green growth. Anxiety, however, produces mildew. And this is a, a picture of how often anxiety can work in our lives. And last week I explained that our, our body and our souls are integrated, meaning that what happens to one will inevitably affect the other. And for some of us in this room, there are factors going on in your anxiety that have to do with your physiological makeup, others have to do with past traumatic experiences, maybe difficulties and circumstances you're going through right now, relationships that you're in, um, presently in. And I want to be careful not to collapse all of anxiety into a spiritual realm. Yet, of course, in this series, we're going to focus primarily on spiritual factors of all of these emotions and feelings. As I said last week, the reality is, I don't want to touch on um, some of these things um, from the standpoint of they go, depression and anxiety go above my pay grade. And um, the, the, I understand that some of you um, going through those things, maybe you don't see fit to go see a counselor, you don't see fit to, to um, take medication. We pray that ultimately you would see fit to get help in some form, in, in some fashion, in, in, in those in those ways, in those circumstances. But what we do know from a Christian standpoint, many Christians muddle through um, life fearful rather than faithful. We were filled with anxiety, filled with uncertainty, consumed with worry, doubt, hesitation, refusing to take that next step for fear of what might happen. Countless Christians are paralyzed over questions like, will God love me tomorrow after I have failed him so bad today? Can I trust God with my life? Can I trust God with tomorrow? How do I know that God has my best interest at heart? Will I have enough, enough to get by? Whatever that enough is, will I have enough to get by? Who's going to take care of me in a world that is filled with so much danger, so much heartache, so much craziness and chaos? Who will 
take care of me. And if there's one positive note here, let me say this. It's good or positive knowing that the men and women of the first century were struggling in the same way that we struggle today. And how do I know that? Because Jesus addressed it. He addressed it. In the midst of walking with his disciples, he stops and begins to talk to them, begins to speak on on this picture, the Sermon on the Mount, um, addressing his disciples. Others are listening, but he deals with this subject of anxiety and worry. For them, the enemy had filled their, their own hearts with fear, with worry, with doubt, with anxiety. I think of the words of Martin Lloyd-Jones who says, It does not matter very much to Satan what form sin takes as long as he succeeds in his ultimate objective. It is immaterial to him whether you are laying up treasures on earth or worrying about earthly things. All he is concerned, all he is concerned about is that your mind should be on them and not on God. And he will assail and attack you from every direction. Meaning, you want to know what Satan's will for your life is? He wants you to focus on your problems and not focus on the Lord. And let's be honest. Sometimes Satan doesn't need much help. We do it ourselves. So sometimes it's like Satan, I'll say this oftentimes, Satan is like, that's all him. I, I had God, I had nothing to do with that. That was all Micah. And oftentimes that's true. I don't need Satan's help. I, I do it myself. And, and we, we live in, in that realm. And and the words that we're about to read in Matthew 6 from the mouth of Jesus remind us of how prone we all are to experience worry. And when we remember that Matthew is the gospel of the kingdom, so Matthew is the gospel that presents Jesus as the king, we see the grace of God um, in trying to free us from our, our worry and not enslave us by it. What I mean by that is this. There are many earthly kings who find it an effective method to keep their subjects in a constant state of fear and anxiety. And what I mean by that is this. If the people that you are ruling over are anxious about their life, if they don't know where their next meal is going to come from, and you can keep them um, that way, they will do your bidding if you promise to meet their needs through your storehouses. So many kings choose to um, let anxiety rule um, over their, their people because anxiety keeps people in their place. Anxiety keeps the kingdom firm. Anxiety keeps people looking to the king to meet their needs. But the one of the greatest things that Jesus shows up and he does is he says, I don't want to put more anxiety on you. I want to free you from it. Jesus didn't come to fill our lives with anxiety. He came so that our lives may be filled with faith. This is the whole point. He wants us to be free from worry, from care, from anxiety. He wants us to live our lives by faith because faith still pleases him. So I'm going to ask you, if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word together. We're going to read uh, Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34 together. These are the words of God, but these are also the words of Jesus. Beginning at verse 25, and I'm going to stop real quick, but beginning at verse 25, it says this, Therefore, so stop. So just a a quick theological lesson there. Anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, the one question you should always ask is this. What is the word therefore, therefore? So what is the word therefore, therefore? So the word therefore always points us back to something. In this instance, it's pointing us back to verse 24 that says, No man can serve two masters. So no man can serve two masters. Verse 25, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. 
what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray together. Father, we come now to your word. God, we believe that your word is living. It is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. God, speak to us now by your word, through your spirit. Speak, Lord, for we are listening. Open our eyes that we may see wonderful things from your word. Today, God, we pray that you would free us. Lord, not that you're going to free us from troubles. For Jesus, you said in this life you will have troubles. But free us so that we might trust you in the midst of troubles. God, increase our faith in you. Have your way today. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So when we think about that word, anxiety, it is sad that worry or anxiety has become the respectable sin in church. And what I, what I mean by that is this. We know that we're not supposed to um, murder, commit adultery, lie, steal, or cheat, or at least we're not supposed to admit that we do those things. But anxiety or worry is the sin that we don't mind confessing that we do. It's the respectable sin. We don't mind saying, worry, I do it. All the, all the time, all day, every day. We don't mind that. Yet, to Jesus, worry is not that respectable. In fact, three times here, verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, Jesus says, do not be anxious. In fact, doesn't just say it, he commands it. Do not be anxious. Don't do it. It is not fitting for you. So let me ask you a question. If God gives us a command and we know that command is for our good, and yet we disobey that command, what is that called? Okay, so if God gives us a command, that command is for our good, we know it's for our good, yet we disobey that command, we would call that a sin. That's what the Bible would say. That's the biblical definition. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that every form of anxiety is sinful. We know there are clinical pictures here. There are other things going on here. So I don't want to just say all um, anxiety is sinful. But let me also say this. If God commands something, then there is power and ability to do what he says. If God commands something, then that means that God has empowered us by his spirit to do what he says. So when God says to his children, don't be anxious, what he's saying is, I've given you my spirit so that you don't have to be anxious. You don't have to be anxious. And just think about what worry does. 
Worry gives very small things very large shadows. Worry puts a question mark where God has put an exclamation point or a period. Worry is like allowing a guest to come in who turns into a robber and robs you blind. Or worry is acting like we don't have a father in heaven. When we, when we worry, we're not believing the truth about God, that he sees us, that he cares for us, that he um, is more than able to meet our needs. Therefore, Jesus wants us to realize that it, it doesn't make sense for us to believe um, in a God who can save us from eternal punishment, but who cannot help us with what's going on today. Our God is able to do both. So in Matthew chapter 6, what Jesus does is he provides us with three glorious gospel pictures that anxiety minimizes. So those are kind of our truths today. So three um, gospel pictures that anxiety minimizes. Those are going to be our three truths for today. The first is this. The first truth is that anxiety minimizes the gospel of creation. Anxiety minimizes the gospel of creation. Now when I when you hear the word gospel, I know most of you are thinking, gospel? Gospel is the Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. Understand, gospel is not just Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Gospel is the whole story of what God has done for us beginning at creation all the way to the end. So gospel isn't just four books somewhere in your Bible just all about Jesus. Um, it's always been about Jesus, even from the beginning. So the gospel of creation. So when we're struggling with anxiety, Jesus tells us to look up. To look around at creation embedded in the physical world that God made are constant theological reminders that God doesn't abandon the work of his hands. Let me say it again. God doesn't abandon the work of his hands. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. Your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? So Jesus is basically saying this, and please follow with me here. No animal has ever been created in the image of God. No animal has ever been justified by God. No animal has ever been adopted by God. Yet God cares for them. And, and so what we see when we look at the birds are creatures who do not, they don't act like God is a merciful provider for just today, but he won't be tomorrow. No, birds aren't anxiously hoarding things. They go about their work as when the sun comes up tomorrow, God will still be God. It's kind of how birds function. And then Jesus says this, And why are you anxious about your clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. If God so clothes the grass of the field, will he not much more clothe you? So if God would care that much for birds and flowers, how much more will he care for us that have been made in his image? If God feeds and clothes them, how much more will he do for us who he has shed his blood for? And just think about this. Jesus says the birds are being fed and the wildflowers are growing. God makes the wildflowers grow. Here's a good question. Why? Why does God make wildfires grow? And here's, here's a few answers. No one, because he wants to. That's a pretty good place to start. But because they're pretty, because he's creative, because God likes beauty, because he wants us to enjoy them, because he cares about flowers, he even cares about grass. And grass is going to die and he cares about grass. I live in a community that our community cares about grass way more than I do. 
And so they send me letters ever so often saying, your grass is looking bad. And I always send, um, Missy doesn't know I do this, but I send the letter, I send the, the envelope back to them with what they gave me. And I write the Bible verse, um, the grass withers and the flower faints, but the word of God stands forever. And I said, thank you very much. I'm focusing on what will last forever. And I just send it back to them and thankfully they, they might own my house later on but right now it seems to work but grass is going to die but even God cares about the grass here's the point in your life and my life in a matter of months your grass will be brown right your grass will be brown and then a few months after that it will be green again or if you're like me you just water the weeds and they're green and it works for everybody but God is God, and he likes caring for birds, he loves pretty flowers, and he even likes green grass. When we worry, we're telling God, God, I don't think you're able to meet my needs even though you're meeting the birds' needs every day. Or I need to take care of myself, God, because I just don't think you're able to take care of me. Think about this. God takes care of the wild animals. He takes care of the flowers. He takes care of the grass. Why wouldn't he take care of you? Why wouldn't he take care of you? He will take care of you. The weapon that we have been given by God in the midst of fear and anxiety is that God is ultimately the good and powerful creator over all things. If he, if he upholds that, he can uphold your life and mine. It is the gospel of creation. Birds don't worry. Flowers don't worry. Why do we? So anxiety minimizes the gospel of creation. But secondly, anxiety minimizes the gospel of adoption. The gospel of adoption. And I want to go broad here before I kind of narrow in on what Jesus is saying. I'm going to make a statement that's going to seem kind of weird and just stay with me. The statement is this, I was adopted. Now some of you know me are going, no you weren't. We know who you were born to, you look just like your, your mother or father, or act, all those different terms. But here's the truth. I was adopted. Now, I wasn't an orphan the way most people think of the term. I wasn't an abandoned child, but I was in a condition far more serious. Meaning this, I was a stranger to the family of God. I was a slave to sin. I was an object of the justified wrath of God, and I didn't even know it. I didn't even know it. Thankfully, my parents shared the gospel with me, and even better, they lived as an example of the gospel before me. And as they did that, God opened my heart to the gospel. And as God opened my heart to the gospel, I turned from my sin. I trusted in Jesus and his sacrifice for my sin. And in that moment, I became a part of a new family. Get this, God, my righteous judge, became God, my heavenly father. In that moment, my judge became my father. If you're a Christian in this room, if you have trusted as, um, in Jesus as your Savior, the one who died for your sins, and as Lord, the one who rules you, you have been justified by God. Now, I love that word justification. You need to write it down, look it up, or I'll give you a definition in just a second. Justification. In justification, it means this. You and I, we stand before God as judge. He's holy we're not. In fact, we are guilty before him. But because of what Jesus has done for us and because of our faith in Jesus, God looks at us and instead of declaring you're guilty, he instead declares by the blood of Christ, my son, you're innocent. You're not guilty. 
That is the declaration. This is the legal description. And it would have been extraordinary. It would have been amazing if God would have just redeemed us, forgiven us, declared us righteous, but he doesn't stop there. God doesn't just say, you are forgiven. Instead, he gets up off the bench, he comes down to where we are, and he says, now you're my child. It would have been fabulous if he had just said, you're forgiven. You're redeemed, but he doesn't stop there. He says, now you're mine. You are my son. You are my daughter. I am yours and you are mine. I love the words of J.I. Packer. He said, what is a Christian? Think about your answer to that. What is a Christian? And I'll just say this. I like his better. He says, the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as father. If you want to know how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought of being God's child and having God as their father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls their worship and prayers and their whole outlook on life, it means that they do not understand Christianity very well at all. We are children of God. We are cherished children of God. We no longer walk in fear. We're not just going to be let into the kingdom of God. We are heirs, meaning that we're going to be given the kingdom of God. And oftentimes, if we're not careful, we say things like this. Well, if only I can just make it to heaven. I just want to make it there. Or people say, well, I'll sweep the streets if I just get there. Or I'll, I'll be a butler in the, the mansion if I can just get to heaven. Or people say, just give me a shack in the corner of, of heaven. And people have even written songs about things like that. But here's the problem with those things. It's horrible theology. It's horrible theology. Understand this. That is not how God the Father treats his children then or now. God does not treat us and say, come in and get a shack over there. You just barely made it. You might say, well, how do you know that, Michael? Read Luke 15. Read the prodigal son. When the prodigal son came back, what did the father do? The father didn't say, you have been a major disappointment. There's a shack. You're my servant. Serve away. No, he didn't say that. He said, welcome home, my son, who was lost and is Found, let's throw a party like no other parties for my son wasn't and now he is it's a beautiful picture of what we have in Christ if you are a child of God in this room let me remind you of something no matter how you feel this morning no matter what you're going through this morning you're a child of God and there are no orphans of God God does not give up the right to his children he doesn't he doesn't give up the right to his children. Therefore, because of that, if we are children of God, then let's just state the obvious. If we're children of God, then worry is an unworthy response to those who are God's children. If we've been created in the image of God, if we've been redeemed by his blood, if we've been forever forgiven by our Father, who has let us call him our Father because he is our Father, then worry is an unworthy response. Listen to what Jesus says, beginning in verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And then underline this in your Bibles if you do, the, if you do this. For the Gentiles. For the Gentiles seek after these things. And then underline this, your heavenly Father. There's a contrast here happening. Knows that you need them all. When Jesus says Gentiles, what he's referring to is unbelievers, pagans, non-Christians. 
Now, here's what I know, looking across this room, but mostly focus on myself. Some of us, and even myself, we worry so much that we might as well be atheists. We worry so much we might as well be atheists because we live as if God doesn't exist or if we don't matter to him, which would go against what the Bible tells us. Listen, that's what pagans do. Pagans live as if God doesn't exist. The spirit of worry, the spirit of anxiety is a mindset that is not fit for the kingdom of God. We're in his kingdom. We're trusting his rule and his reign. But yet when we let worry reign over us, we are lowering lowering ourselves to the mindset of an unbeliever. Listen, I can understand why unbelievers worry. And I will tell you this, they don't worry enough. I think unbelievers should worry way more than they worry. But I can understand why an unbeliever would worry. But for a Christian to worry, think about this, for a child of God to be riddled with anxiety is in effect saying the redemption um, by the blood of Christ, justification by faith, adoption into God's family, eternal forgiveness makes no difference or, or makes no difference in the face of what I'm facing right now. So basically what we're saying in the midst of worry is all those things that we claim to be true really don't make a difference in what I'm facing right now. But they do. They do. Unlike the pagans, we have a heavenly Father who willingly, who faithfully, who eternally takes on the burden of meeting our needs. Someone put it this way. I love this. If you and I were headed to lunch today together and you were to look at me and say, oh, man, I forgot my money. And I said, "Uh, don't worry about it. The only way that's not a cruel joke is if I pay for your meal. But let's say we're sitting at lunch and the bill comes and I look at you and I say, hey, have you figured out how you're going to pay for your meal? And you say, well, I thought you said don't worry about it. And I said, and I, then I would respond and say, yeah, I just didn't want you to be worrying about that while we were having conversation because I wanted you to be focused on me and not on that. But have you figured out how you're going to pay for your, your meal? That would be a, a cruel joke, right? We would go, but you said don't worry about it, and don't worry about it means I shouldn't have to worry about it. You feeling, with, you feeling me here? The only way it makes sense for God to say do not worry is if he has fully covered what's going to happen next. And he has. He has. He's fully covered it. So when we say, well, God, you said don't worry about it. He goes, because you shouldn't worry about it. I have covered it. It is mine. And let me just back up for just a second and just say this. Now, Jesus isn't saying that we won't have problems. He's not saying we won't have difficulties. So please don't hear that today. If anybody has ever told you that if you become a child of God, um, your your life will be free from from worries and pains, I hear people all the time say, but I'm a child of the king. And I'm like, yeah, you're the child of the king of the one who died on the cross. I mean, that's, that's where our king, our king ended up on a cross. Jesus said, in this world, you will have difficulties. You will have problems. You will have things that go wrong in your life. And so Jesus is saying, don't worry because your life is going to be easy. He's saying, don't worry because I'm God. And don't worry because you have a father who knows exactly what you need and is in the process of giving you what you need when you need it. Without knowing every situation in this room, I I don't. But let me make something very clear to you. If you're a child of God in this room, if you don't have what you think you need right now, It's because you don't need it. If you're a child of God in this room and you don't have what you think you need right now, it's because you don't need it. When you need it, 
you'll have it. When you need it, you'll have it. I know that because he's a good father. Because he makes all things beautiful in its time. As Christians, when we worry, what we're saying is this. God, we believe that you've redeemed us. God, we believe that you have broken the shackles of sin and Satan off of my life. God, we believe that you've taken me from death to life. We believe that you've taken me, God, or I believe you've taken me from darkness into light. I believe that you've put me in your kingdom. Oh, God, I believe all those things. What I don't believe is that you can help me today. When we worry, that's what we're saying. Isn't that ridiculous? It is, but that's what we do. What we're doing is we're saying, God, I trust you to do the greatest of saving my soul. What I don't trust you to do is to get me through tomorrow. If God can handle saving us from our sin, as Pastor Michael said a few weeks ago, it's the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle God will ever do in your life is to save you from your sin. Therefore, if we can trust God with the greatest miracle, we can trust him with the lesser ones. We can trust him to get us through tomorrow. We can believe him. He is a good father. And get this. He's a good father who will do for us tomorrow what he did for us yesterday, which is provide. He'll do for us tomorrow what he'll do for us forever, provide. We can trust him. Anxiety minimizes the gospel of adoption that we are his and that he cares. And then third, anxiety minimizes the gospel declaration. Anxiety minimizes the gospel declaration. This is going to get weird for just a second, but let me ask you a question. What is the gospel declaration? And of course, the gospel declaration, in essence, could be that we are saved by, by grace through faith, um, not of ourselves, as a gift of God, not of works. Or, ultimately, the gospel declaration is this. The end, the treasure, is God. The end goal of your Christian faith is not things, it's not riches, it's not stories. The end goal of your faith is God. Put it like this. If you were to view your Christianity like a treasure chest. So I became a follower of Christ. And I opened this chest. And this is all that I get because I'm a follower of Christ. What would you expect to see when you open that chest? And some of us would expect to see riches and get out of jail free cards and get out of um, worry free or get out of trial free cards and all these things that are there and the whole picture is this we open up the treasure chest and guess what we get we get god we get god we get god now we get god forever one pastor said this if if you don't want god now then you're not fit for heaven if you don't want god you don't want heaven because heaven is about god it's not about us. God is the goal of our faith. He is our peace. He is our innocence. He is our righteousness. It's his and not ours. And in light of that, in light of the gospel declaration that we're going to read in verse 33 in just a second, we must understand this. As we've said last week, depression gives a voice that lies to us. So if you're going through depression, don't make decisions. Don't make important decisions in your life because you will misinterpret reality and you will make wrong decisions. In the same way, when anxiety hits us, anxiety is a false prophet. It lies to us. Let me give you a little background or ask you a little Old Testament question. In the Old Testament, what was to be done with false prophets? 
So false prophets in the Old Testament were to be stoned. They were to be put to death. Meaning, we don't just try to manage anxiety. We have to put to death the lies that we're believing. We have to wage war against the lies that we're believing. That doesn't mean to kill everybody who lies to you. What I'm saying is we lie to ourselves and we believe voices that aren't true. And we need to wage war against those voices. And the only way to wage war against those voices is to believe a greater voice. To believe a more powerful voice. So what's the conclusion of the whole matter? Look at verse 33. Here's the conclusion. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness And all these things will be added unto you or provided for you. And then verse 34, Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Here's what Jesus would have you know today. Something is going to go wrong tomorrow. Jesus would have you know that. Something is going to go wrong next week. Something is going to blow up. You're going to have a package delivered and you think it's going to be beautiful and great and this is my amazing life and you're going to open it up it's going to go boom. And everything that you thought was going to happen isn't going to be the way you thought it was going to be. Things are going to happen. The ultimate revelation, the ultimate truth is this. The God who saved you yesterday, who delivered you today, will provide for you tomorrow. That is the declaration. That is the truth that we must believe. The answer to worry is not a trouble-free life. The answer to worry is not invulnerability, in by which nothing bad ever happens. The answer to worry is a relationship with our Heavenly Father, knowing that He has our best interests in heart always. That He is working always for our good and for His glory. And when He promises that not one hair on our head will fall without His knowledge, He means it. Therefore, we fight anxiety by believing Him. We fight anxiety by his promises. So anxiety has a voice. Anxiety is proclaiming a message over our lives. It's a message of hopelessness. It's a message of helplessness. We must drown out that voice by a greater voice, by the the voice and the word of God. Let me just give you some practical pictures here in closing. If you're anxious today about having to take a step of faith, Battle unbelief with the promise of Isaiah 41.10, where God says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. If you're anxious because you feel like you're serving the Lord and you're seeing nothing from it, Battle unbelief with the promise of Isaiah 55, 11. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall, come, it shall not come back to me empty, but accomplish that which I purpose. God will fulfill his word. God will get the last word. God still uses you even though things aren't happening the way you want them to. When we're anxious about circumstances, when we, when we feel weak, we battle unbelief with the promise of 2 Corinthians 12, 9, where Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. Get this in your weakness. Jesus says, my strength is made perfect not in your strength. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. When we're anxious about decisions that we have to make, how many of you have decisions to make in the future? We have anxiety over those things. Battle unbelief with Psalm 32, 8. I will instruct you. I will teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. When we're anxious about 
facing people who oppose us in the Lord's work or people who stand against us. We battle unbelief with the promise of Romans 8.31. If God is for us, finish it. Who can be against us? No one or nothing can be against us if God is for us. When we're anxious about being sick, we battle unbelief with the promise of Romans 5, 3 through 5. We rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope will not put us to shame. It leads to our hope in God that cannot put us to shame. If you're anxious about getting old, we battle unbelief. Brother Curtis, hear this. With the promise of Isaiah 46, 4. Even to your old age, I am he, and to your gray hairs, I will carry you. I have made you, I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. When we're anxious about dying, we battle unbelief for the promise of one, Psalm 116, 15, precious in the eyes of the Lord or the death of his saints. Or we battle those anxieties with the promises or the declaration of Paul in Philippians 1, 21. To live is Christ. To die is gain. To die is gain. When we're anxious that we might fall away from the faith, we battle anxiety with the promise of Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. God will finish what he has started in you if you allow him. If you let him, he will finish what he has started. For he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means that God will be doing tomorrow what he was doing yesterday, which is meeting your needs. He will do it tomorrow. He will do it the next day. For he never changes. He is the same. Here's an invitation today. We always end with kind of an invitation. We're about to sing a song, and the song is kind of our invitation. Because the song is from the perspective of of God. We, we normally sing praise songs. Those praise songs are songs that we sing to God, but this is kind of a song where God is singing to us and God is saying this to us. Come to me. Believe me. Trust me. Lean upon me. Cast your cares upon me. Know that I care for you. The invitation today is to believe, believe God for who he says he is. And believe God for what he says he will do. And when he says he will meet your needs, it means he will meet your needs. That doesn't always mean we get what we want. doesn't mean everything works out the way that we want it to, but it works out the way that he has sees fit for it to be. A couple of weeks ago, Brother Curtis reminded us on a Sunday night of one of the messages that we talked about when Jesus was in the boat with the disciples in the midst of the storm. And we said this, when Jesus is in your boat, when Jesus is in your boat, it's going to be well. And it doesn't mean that we get what we want, but when Jesus is in our boat with us, he gets what he wants. And when he gets what he wants, it works out for our good. Ultimately, always for our good. Can we trust him for that? So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. We're going to call the musicians forward as we prepare to end this time together and enter in a time of consecration and invitation where we say whatever God is telling you to do, that you would do it. So let's pray together. Father, we come before you, and God, we know that there are circumstances all across this room. There are those of us in this room that, Lord, throughout life we deal with anxieties, worries, fears, things that can 
paralyze us and keep us from moving forward. There's others, God, who are debilitated by anxiety and are truly paralyzed. And Father, today our hope and our answer is you. That we would come to you believing that you are God and believing what you have said. That when you say you will meet our needs, Lord, you, you mean that. When you said that you'll carry us and you are our refuge and our help, our strength, God, you, you mean that. When you said that we can cast our cares upon you because you care, you mean that. When you said, come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. That, Lord, we're able to take your yoke upon us. Your yoke is easy. Your burden is light. You mean that. Father, today, Lord, whatever it is that you're saying to each one in this room, help us to do it. God, it's not enough that we hear you. Help us to obey you. Whatever it is. Help us to trust you more. God, help us to understand that faith is a greater word. It has a greater voice. It is your voice. It is your word, and we believe and hold to it. Help us to come to you fresh and anew today. In Jesus' name.